Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. Now, if you've been in church for a length of time, you would probably be familiar with the feeling of the firefighter. It's a very common story. But there are two actually fun facts that I want you to know about the story. Well, it might not be a fun fact, maybe just a fact. Well, one of it is, among all the miracles that Jesus performed, this is the miracle that probably had, not probably, but had the most, I guess, audience, in a sense, like it was huge by most people. In the sermon, um, you know, just read, you saw there were 5,000 men, but actually it's believed that there were probably upwards of 10,000 people who were there. Because back in that day, they didn't count the women, sadly. The women and the children were not counted. So it's believed that there were probably about 10,000 people who actually and then second interesting fact about this is that apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus, this is actually the only other miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. So there is some significance to this. And one thing we'll learn from John's Gospel, like I said, he doesn't record every of the miracles that in the other Gospels. In fact, he only records seven of those miracles. But he records these seven miracles for a specific reason, and obviously the feeding of the 5,000 is one of them. So just as we're going through um, the passage today, I just want us to keep this reason in mind as we go through it. So he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he says by believing, you can also change that to mean by continuing to believe. So he's trying to evoke faith in the reader of his gospel. So every time you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So the feeding of the five thousand was meant to be the further sign, as well as the other miracles that Jesus performed, that Jesus is the Messiah. But before we sort of delve into the passage, I just want to set the scene um, for what was happening here. So we don't know actually how much time had passed between the events that happened in chapter 5 and the feeding of the 5,000. Um, but if you want to read that, you can read that one more time. But what we do know from the other Gospels is the reason why Jesus wanted to go to the other side um, of Galilee. So what we know is that Jesus had sent his disciples out to various towns to preach the Gospel. He had given them authority to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and to basically do lots of wonderful um, words in his name. And then we just get this from Mark's Gospel. So the, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure, not even to eat. But they went away in the boats to a desolate place by themselves. So the apostles would have come back from, I'm guessing the amazing things that have done in the villages. They would have come back to Jesus. But by this time, Jesus had been performing lots of miracles. So he already had lots of people who continued to follow him because of the miracles that he was do it. So even though they probably wanted some time to, I guess, debrief about what they've done, they will still have lots of people coming and going, and I guess in a sense, interrupting them. So Jesus, in his kindness, decides, you know what, let's go somewhere else, let's go to a place where no one will be, and they can have rest and probably just like have something to eat. So it's important to also remember that it was around this time that in the other Gospels we hear about the beheading of John the Baptist. So you can imagine where Jesus would have been at this time, that he's also grieving. 
you know, the loss of his cousin, the one who had paved the way for him, his grieving. So he probably also just wants some peace and quiet away from the crowd. So we're told they go on the boats to the other side. But the crowd obviously see where they're going and they don't follow along the head of the river. They walk across, I mean, around the head of the river to get to the other side. And as, as I was reading this, I was just thinking, like, imagine being one of the disciples, right? You've come back from a long day, or I don't know how many days they were away. You're tired, exhausted. I mean, Mark's gospel said they didn't even have time to eat. So they were probably hungry at this point. I don't know how much you get hungry, I do. They were probably just like, we're done. And so they get to the other side, and they're like, Phew, okay, peace and quiet. And then all of a sudden, they start seeing people coming to them. It's like, not one, not two, not three, but thousands of people coming to them. Like, I would, I would probably be like, please, let's just hide. Like, let's find a big tree, let's hide behind the tree. Hopefully, they won't see us. But thankfully, that's not who Jesus is, right? Jesus is so much more gracious than me. So Jesus sees this crowd coming to him and he has compassion on them. Like he loves them, he receives them graciously, he receives them with love. And then he takes the time to heal them, to teach them. He doesn't say this in, in, in John's Gospel, but in the other Gospel, it says that Jesus taught the crowd, he healed them and took that time to, to minister to them. And I just wonder, it's just a question for ourselves, like, how do we view people? Jesus put people as a priority. Like he allowed them to interrupt his grooming process because of his love for them. So I guess that's my first question. How do we view people and see people as a burden? Or do we actually see them as people who we should prioritize? I mean obviously we need to exercise wisdom in how we allow you know, more responsibility in our lives. But it's something for us to think about. Like Jesus sees people as priority and so therefore we should do the same. Okay. So what we don't know is, you know, what time of the day they went to the other side. But what we do know is that they were there up until evening. So Jesus would have been ministering to people. Like, what is it? There were probably about 10,000 people. I mean, those who were there at New Day, with all the people under the tent. Imagine just being, so there were 12 disciples and one of Jesus. So 13 people basically ministering to maybe 10,000 people. Like, that would be overwhelming. So they would have been, again, just even more exhausted, just more overwhelmed. So at the end of the evening, they're probably thinking, great, okay, we're done, we're ministered, Jesus, you can send the crowd away. But then Jesus does the unexpected. He turns to Philip and he says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, obviously this question was directed at Philip, but it would have been in the hearing of his other disciples. So I believe that he, Jesus just wasn't testing Philip, he was also testing the other disciples. Like, I don't think that Jesus was like, picking on Philip for no reason. Now, some commentators believe that Jesus asked Philip because he was from um, a nearby um, village called Bethsaida, which would have been near where they were. But actually, Peter and Andrew were also from Bethsaida, so Jesus could have asked them. So we're not actually sure why Jesus was asking the question. But what we know is that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. So what was the point? What was the point of testing his disciples? <clears throat> what we do know is that when Jesus tests us, like, he's doing it for a reason. Right? He wants us to recognize something that is lacking within ourselves and to draw that out. But not just to recognize that there's something lacking within ourselves, but also to point us to the fact that God is the answer 
to whatever it is that's lacking. He wants us to see that we are not enough in some situations, but we need God, we need Jesus to fulfill that thing that is lacking in us. And I believe that's what he was doing here. So if we even think about um, the story of Adam and Eve, right, right from the very beginning. So we know what happens. Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit, they sin against God, and so they hide from him, or they cover themselves in thick leaves and go hiding. And God asks them a question. He says, where are you? And obviously this question wasn't meant to, God wasn't looking for information. He knew where they were, physically, and he knew where they were spiritually. But he asked them that question because he wanted to draw them out from where they were. He wanted them, yes, to realize their sinfulness and what they had done. They had put a barrier between them and God. But most importantly, he wanted to restore the relationship that had been lost. So he called them out to restore that relationship. And I was thinking, like, even in my life a few, a few years ago, um, God had asked me to give away like a, an amount of money. And for me, it was a significant amount of money. And I remember just like wrestling with this for such a long time. I was like, maybe it's not God, maybe it's the devil who just wants me to fall, I don't know. But I really wrestled with it. And eventually I decided, you know what, I'm going to walk in obedience. I'm going to, I'm going to do what God said. But even as I gave it, I didn't feel at peace. Because I thought, okay, you know what, I've done what God wants. I'm going to be at peace. But I wasn't at peace. And days and days, I just kept asking God, like, why am I not at peace? Like, why is this still on my heart? And God didn't say, oh, it's because of X, Y, and Z. Obviously, he knew the answer to it. He just basically asked me a question. He said, why was it so difficult to give it up? And as I pondered that question, I realized, obviously, I had a trust issue. I had a control issue. I put my security in money instead of God. So God asked me that question to test my heart so that I could realize where I put my security, where I put my faith. And then he started that process of um, teaching me to trust him in those areas. And I believe that's what Jesus was doing here. He was showing the disciples where they were lacking in faith. So Jesus asked Philip, where are we to buy bread? And it's funny, isn't it? Jesus asked Philip one question, but Philip answers another question. Because Philip didn't say, oh, we can go to the town. All Philip said was like, 200 worth of denarii, like, it's not enough to feed those people. In a sense, you can hear the anxiety in his response. So even if they had 200 denarii, and what we know is like, a denarius was um, a day's wage for a laborer. So I can imagine laborers were paid very much. They're not paid very much now, so I can imagine they were paid very much there. So even 200 worth of denarii, like 200 days worth, of salary was probably not enough. And he was right. It's like there was no way. He'd done the calculation, but there wasn't enough. And he knew that. But Jesus knew that as well. Jesus knew that they didn't have enough to be able to buy it. So what, why was he doing it? He had put this impossible situation in front of them in order for their faith to grow. Right. So the thing is, like we can um, sometimes do the same, like God can put an impossible situation in front of us. But instead of looking to Jesus, instead of thinking about what he'd done for us in the past, because the disciples had been walking with Jesus for a while. They'd seen the miracles he'd done, they'd seen him raise the dead. I mean, if they needed any sort of um, memory about God doing something with food, Jesus had turned water to wine, like they were there, they saw the miracles. But for some reason in this situation, maybe because they were overwhelmed, by what was going on, maybe because they were tired, we don't know, but they just, 
fail to see that actually Jesus was the answer to the question in front of, her, in front of them. And for us, like, life is difficult. Like, there's so many things that can overwhelm us. And if we forget that Jesus has the ability to overcome those things, we will allow anxiety and worry rule our minds instead of taking it to Jesus. Like, Jesus wants us to be at peace. He doesn't want us to be worried about those things. Because as followers of Christ, God has actually put impossible tasks in front of us. Being a Christian is impossible. What Jesus has called us to do is impossible. He's called us to go to the nations and make disciples. He's called us to heal the sick, to um, provide spiritually and physically for the people around us. Now, if we think about the vast amount of people in the world who are in need of Jesus or who are even just in need of physical, material things, like it will probably overwhelm you to think about how you go about starting to solve that problem. You know, he's called us to pick up our cross and to follow him, to be holy as he is holy. To pray for our enemies and love those who persecute us. Like, it's impossible. Without faith in Jesus' ability, all of this will overwhelm us if we do not trust in him. Because Jesus wants us to have peace knowing that he is in control. Like, he always knows what to do, so we don't need to worry about it. So we saw what Andrew's response was, but let's just take a brief um, look at, sorry, Pete, a finished response at Andrew's response. Like the amazing thing about Andrew is like actually every time you hear about him, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Like I love Andrew, I want to be more like Andrew. We need more Andrews in the church. But he's always bringing some, someone to Jesus, and that's what he's doing here. He brings this little boy with five loaves and two fish to Jesus. Now, at Philip, Andrew is not naive about the situation. He knows, like, it's impossible. Like, even when he brings the boy five loaves and two fish, he says, like, he, he like, brings them to Jesus, but he very quickly says, like, even, like, what's this among so many? Like, this is impossible. But I guess the difference probably between um, Philip and Andrew is that Andrew brought what was in his hand anyway. Like, even though he knew, like, it's impossible for you to use five loaves and two fish to feed about 10,000 people, he still brought it to Jesus anyway. He had exercised some faith in doing that. And we know what Jesus did with it. He multiplied it and he fed the crowd. But before we go there, I just want to just briefly spend the time with the little boy, whose food it was. Because it didn't belong to the disciples, it, it, it was a little boy. And as I was preparing this, I don't know about you guys, but if you, when you're reading the Bible, if you kind of like picture in your mind the dialogues that are going on, like the characters of the people, what they would have been like. And in my mind, I just picture this like little boy who's just really cheeky, usually up to mischief, probably. At this point, he probably has like dirt in his face because he's been running around in the field. I mean, we don't know who the boy is. He could have been a son of one of the people in the crowds, or he could have just been going on an adventure and would have just been caught up in the crowds. And the disciples saw him and obviously bring him to Jesus. But I just imagine Jesus but very gently, you know, maybe stooping beside him, looking at him eye to eye, and just said, May I have your lunch, please? And I just imagine the boy thinking, Well, what for? And then Jesus just kind of like turning him around to like see the vastness of the crowd and just saying to him, You know, these people that have been with me for a long time, they're tired, they're hungry, and I'd really like to feed them and they need your help. And I think that I can use what you have in your hands to feed them. And I just imagine the boy looking at his food, looking at the crowd, looking at Jesus and thinking, no way, like there's no way, probably laughs at Jesus and thinking, there's no way to feed all these people with what I have. 
but we know eventually he gives, he gives it to Jesus. But the thing is, like, I don't know if you've stopped to actually think about it. Like, this boy was making a big sacrifice by giving Jesus what he had in his hand. But all he knew, at the very best, Jesus was probably who he claimed to be and would multiply it and the boy would also get fed. Or actually, he's just given away his food and now he's not going to have any food to eat. I mean, we don't know, like I said, we don't know much about the boy, but what we do know is that he would have been from a poor family. And we know that because of the description of the bread, it says that he had um, barley loaves. And what we know is that in those days, and probably still now, barley was actually used to feed animals. So it would only have been like the poorest of the poor who would have used barley to make bread because they couldn't afford a higher quality of grain. So his, his um, bread was actually made from grain that had been used to feed animals. And in my mind, I've always sort of envisioned like big loaves of bread, but actually it would have been like, imagine like a flat bread, but maybe not, not <coughs> bigger than maybe a cracker. So it would have had sort of five little crackers. And the fish would have been like tiny sardines, which would have been just to flavor the bread, because the bread probably did taste very nice. So this is what the boy had with him. So if he had given it to Jesus and everything had gone wrong, he probably wouldn't have had another meal for the day. So he was actually stepping out in faith. Like this was a big sacrifice for him to do. He was risking a lot by giving Jesus um, his five loaves and two fish. And I do wonder, that's one thing in my mind as I was preparing this, like if there are people here today, you've got five loaves and two fish in your hand and Jesus is asking you to give it to him. But you're a bit scared. Maybe in a sense that five loaves and two fish represents the last thing that you have. It's your security. Like if you give it to Jesus, there's nothing to fall back on. Or you're looking at your five loaves and two fish and you think, it's just body. You know, it's just made from barley. There's nothing special about it. What's Jesus going to do with this? You know, I can't give it to Jesus. Or you're thinking of yourself, like, I'm not brave enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not eloquent enough. Like, I've got nothing to give to Jesus. But Jesus is calling you to say, give it to me anyway. Whatever it is that you have in your hands, come and trust me with it. Because he can do abundantly more than we can even think we what we give him. And I know it's scary. It is scary to step out in faith. You know, when I was about, um, I think I was about 18, I felt a conviction to be baptized. And I mean, I grew up in the African church, I've been baptized as a, as a child, but it wasn't until I grew up later that I realized baptism obviously was for, you had to make that choice to be baptized. And so I got a conviction to be baptized, and I wanted to be baptized, but I didn't for one simple fact. I was afraid of standing in front of people and giving my testimony. It was like, there was no way I was going to do it. So I didn't actually get baptized until I was about 21, just because of that fear of standing in front of people. So if you had asked me then, like, would I believe in worship in front of people? I'm like, heck no. You know? <laughs> would, I, would I be here today giving a sermon? No. But is this process, it's, it's not that all of a sudden I just like had this courage, but it was a step-by-step -step process of giving to Jesus what I had and allowing him to work in me and through me. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants us to give him our finals and two fish, whatever that is, and just watch how he does the impossible with it. So let Jesus feed the multitude through you. Now what we see in this miracle, 
um, it's not just um, Jesus' power of work. Obviously, it is clearly demonstrated by like Jesus' power in feeding the multitude with five loaves and two fish. But what we also see is his compassion and his generosity. Like Jesus provides for people, not just a little bit so they could, you know, be a little bit comfortable and not faint on the way home, but he provides in such an extraordinary way to them. And the word here, it says, like, they had so much until they were filled. And the word for filled, you could actually use that as glossy. So if you picture Christmas Day, end of Christmas Day, you've eaten way more than you know you should have, and you can barely move. And that's the word that John is actually um, using here. So they were absolutely stuffed. No one could complain. They were filled, filled, filled. But we also see that even after everyone had eaten, there were 12 baskets full. Now, I don't know what the significance of 12 baskets is. I'm not going to make anything up. You know, some people say maybe it's a 12 tribe of Israel. I don't know. Um, but this is what I think, and you can take it or leave it. This is what I think. Quite simply, each disciple had a basket. That was it. And they went around and filled it. So I, I believe that Jesus had done this miracle, but he had done it in such a way that the disciples also had enough to fill their own baskets. For me, it was this picture of God providing for those who are laboring with him in ministry. At the beginning, we saw the disciples hadn't eaten. And it's very likely they still hadn't eaten at this point, because they didn't have any food with, him, and with them. If they had, I do know giving that to Jesus instead of taking the little boy's milk, but they didn't have any food with him. So each of them would have gone around, filling their own baskets. And I just was trying to imagine what they were thinking in their minds. You know, they were overwhelmed with how they were going to be able to feel they were tired and they're hungry, but as they're picking up the broken fragments of bread, they're probably just thinking, how could we not think he would do it? How could we not think that he was able to feed the thousands? And just there in their hands was the evidence that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. I think that's amazing, just like Jesus shows up in the most sort of unexpected ways. So we read um, from verse 14. So when the people saw this, that's the crowd, they had seen the miracle that Jesus had done. They said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So what we know from verse 4 um, of this passage is this, all of this was happening around the time of the Passover. Now the Passover would have been a time where the Jewish people would have been recalling stories over and over again of how um, God, through Moses, delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And with this story, they have been having this hope and this longing in their heart that God would raise up someone else like Moses who would come and liberate them from the Roman occupation. And even Moses says in Deuteronomy 18.15, he says to the people, like, God will raise up a prophet from among you, just like myself. So they are thinking, or praying and hoping that God would do that. So I can just imagine the crowds who are sitting there, they have this in the back of their minds. And then here is Jesus doing what Moses basically did for the Israelites in the wilderness. Because we know that through Moses, God provided bread for the Israelites in the wilderness. So here they are seeing the same thing with Jesus. He is providing bread for them in the middle of a desolate place. So immediately their mind is going, this is the new Moses, this is the one who will liberate us from our sins, who will destroy the Romans. 
and, and restore Israel to what it was. And I think that's, that's a good thing, right? They recognize Jesus as the king. They recognize him and in a sense have put their trust in him. But the thing is actually, they wanted Jesus for what they could get. That wasn't why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to be um, the king of the Romans, well, not of the Romans, <laughs> of the Jews in that way. He came for something much greater. He came to liberate people from this and to bring them out of darkness and to bring them into a restored relationship with God. And as we see next week, Jesus tries to draw these people into a deeper and truer understanding of who he is. But because that's not what they wanted, people started to walk away from him and they didn't follow him anymore. And again, that's something for us to think about. Like when we see Jesus, do we come to Jesus just for something that we can get from him? Or do we come to Jesus because we treasure him, because we love him, because we know that he is indeed the King of Kings and the Lord of God? Like why are we coming to Jesus? I think like no matter the reason you come to Jesus, like it actually doesn't matter. Because these people that came to Jesus because they were hungry and they needed healing. So Jesus will receive you. But the biggest question, I guess, is why do you continue to follow Jesus? Are you still following him just because you're hoping he will solve all your earthly problems? I think the worst thing for us, the worst thing that could happen to us is if Jesus was to give you absolutely everything you wanted in this world, but to leave you dead in your sin. I think that is the worst thing that could happen. That is not a loving God. But thankfully, we have a Savior who is loving and who is kind and who reached into the depth to draw us out of sin and to bring us into light. And who took our sins upon himself. And just as he lifted up that bread to bless it, he allowed his body to be lifted on the cross for us. And just as he broke the bread into pieces to give to the people, he allowed his body to be broken so that we will have our full satisfaction in him, but mostly so that we can have eternal life and be reconciled with God.